This is The Union, the intersection between people, apps, and AI. We'll inspire and challenge you as we ask questions, uncover insights, and share inspiring stories about digital ecosystems and automation. Well, hey there, I'm Scott King, and over there is Chris Krause. Thanks for joining us. Today, we're going to talk about a recent Wall Street Journal article. Uh, Chris, I found this article interesting a couple of weeks ago. The title, and I'll link to it below. I'll give everybody the link so you can read it. Uh, Pressure mounts on CIOs to build more AI apps and faster. So I thought it was interesting since we covered uh, previously how ChatGPT has uh, elevated our expectations. Everyone is talking about this. Now, business leaders are asking the CIOs, like, hey, I need more AI stuff. Like, and I need it fast because I've already seen this thing. I kind of understand. I know what's possible. But the, you know, I, I get, you know, in the article, it says that the CIOs really can't respond quick enough, right? right. They get these requests, they can't respond. And I think maybe because they're focused on like the top, 20%, like the hardest AI and machine learning projects, maybe what, you know, what are your thoughts on that? So actually, my interaction with customers and prospects, I'm actually seeing the same thing. People say, how can I put chat GPT in my enterprise? And, you know, we did the an earlier podcast on you actually use generative AI in the enterprise versus chat GPT. So the expectations are there. And what I think is interesting is this has been happening in classic IT for the last year or four years. But the approach has been very much, give me a really hard problem, put a bunch of data scientists on it, and they spend months working through the data. And it's called feature training, where you actually figure out what are the, what's the data set look like, what's the features, and then you test the model, you iterate, you test the model. And I have a degree in statistics, so I'm like, well, yeah. So it makes perfect sense that it takes a while to do this. But the Cash 22 is when you pick the most hardest problem, it could take a year or two to build a model and then keep it running. You do have to keep monitoring it and running it. So yeah, I, I agree with the article that it's like, are we doing the right thing by always picking the most complicated process or are there other processes in the organization we can work with? Right. Yeah. It, it says like the, you know, the bottom 80%, like the collective value of those is probably greater than the things that they're working on. Um, I I would think that in that bottom 80%, there are some processes that you could use AI and machine learning to help people, you know, maybe maybe like an assisted decision, not like these big actuarial tables or big complex risk management, but just day-to-day process-oriented stuff. There's got to be a ton of value in there. And the article says it's probably more than the top 20. Yeah. Well, if you think about it, everybody uses the 80-20 rule. But if you actually put some practical, like AI is machine learning, which is math. So put some math behind it. It's like if you have 500 smaller processes in a company and there's good velocity on them, they're processes that happen hundreds and thousands of times a day. If each time you do it, it's worth $10, that actually adds up quickly. So it, it's not it's not unusual to say, hey, there's actually more value cumulative with the smaller processes because they maybe run more often things every employee runs against or every customer is presented with. And even though the value may be 10 or $20, 
versus you know ten thousand dollars a transaction there's more transactions and there are more of them and i think that the classic approach we can't put a data scientist on all of those obviously so we need to think about what's a different way to actually address that 80 percent what how can we address that with machine learning how can we put that in the hands of the users and then we'll have a complement of both yeah that's interesting i mean you were mentioning you know small increments of of money you said ten dollars um on a on a Gartner survey or Gartner report, rather, they said, um, you know, having a machine uh, fulfill a customer request electronically is like 10 cents. And to have a person do it is $8. Yeah. So if you had a lot of incoming traffic, uh, you know, messages or customer service requests, you know, that would add up if a machine did it for 10 cents and a person's doing it for $8 and it, and I can't find enough people, high quality people to do this. I mean, it only makes sense. It's an enormous value. You know, yes. how do, how do they capture that? Yeah. And so there's, you actually need to make sure that you can build the models in a simpler way and you make it easy to deploy and put it into the, into your processes itself. It can't be a standalone like swivel chair, alt tab, go to the special algorithm, ask it a question and come back. You need to put it as part of the process that you're doing. So actually how do you operationalize it and bring it into the fold? That and because it can be done. And so and that's where you get the value, actually getting it something that's used all the time. Yeah. It um you know, switching the other direction, the the article also said that um uh, one of the CIOs interviewed in the article said that it spent several years and 20 to $30 million on an AI project. And the, the cost of the data science salaries was the biggest function, right? So when you look yep. at hardware, uh, integrating all the systems, the data prep, the data science, you know, testing, and then like the last mile deployment of the AI model, you know, it, it seems like they're trying to focus too much on okay, let me find a really expensive person to solve this problem. And then once they solve it, like deploying it is a whole nother issue, right? Because um, in a separate report that I found, it's the MIT Insight Survey of 600 CIOs, you know, they, they said like the AI must have an intuitive interface for it to be useful. So like, I mean, it's just kind of interesting that they say, uh, you know, it's all the data problem. And then one side it says, no, I have to figure out how to deploy it to make it useful. Yeah. And, and quite honestly, those are two different disciplines. Like a data scientist is happy to work with like tab separated data in Python notebooks. And they work on all these complicated algorithms. That's not the right person to write an intuitive UI. We call it user experience, you know, interaction design. They went to school for math. So they're happy working with numbers and tables. So yeah, there's a, there's this whole transition of, okay, we've built it, we've tested it. Now we've spent this time, now we need to get an IT project, user-centered design to actually go deploy this so that people can consume it and use it. And then, then we have to have the abilities and software, scalability, reliability, securability, all of those type of things, right? So it's just the beginning to build the model it's another thing to actually get it into the user's hands and make it very useful. And that's that's a huge challenge. And um, I think some of the former research talked about how many um, projects don't go all the way to production. 
And it's like, you have to imagine that part of that is we couldn't build the model. The other is like, we built the model. Now, how do we operationalize this and actually make it so it's not something a data scientist thinks about, oh, here's tab separated data. It's actually a user interface. It's, you know, easy to learn, easy to use. So we've got two different disciplines we have to bring together to deploy these. Yeah, I think... um... I think that research you mentioned said, I don't remember exactly, it was over 90% of models don't go into production. Yep. Um, because, I mean, the models work. Because the data scientists, I mean, like you said, they're math people and they they made it work, but it couldn't deploy. And I think yep. that is, that's the whole phenomenon of the uh, the generative AI and the conversational you know interfaces that we've seen people say, okay, now that I've seen it, like, this is, this is what I want to do. Like, I, w- I want to make this work inside my firewall. Right. Um, so from a, from a cost perspective, I mean, can you speak to the cost of delivering AI and how companies may be misjudging what's required for these simpler use cases? Yeah. So I, I can understand someone say in the project management office saying, okay, we, we spend six months building an application and then training users on it and then deploying it. So we don't have enough resources to actually do a special project for every model. Because remember these models, they there's the math, but then it does have to get a user interface to get information. It may have to then ask systems for data. Like, you know, if it's talking about say a loan process, they need to know about the, the customer, their credit rating, their all sorts of different information. So you have to get system data then it gets fed in, and then you actually then can create the UI. So a project manager would say, we we can't actually put 150 more new applications on our backlog. We just can't, we don't have the velocity to do it. So they need to do it differently. They need to think of a way to deploy this in an iterative way, so within one platform that makes it easy for users to like ask it a question, have the platform get responses back, have the platform then do workflow or take actions on that. So it needs to be not 150 small IT projects. It's one, but have a good orchestration engine to actually deploy this. I mean, that makes sense. Like everybody, you know, everybody needs to have a process because you can't train people on do everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially when, you know, when apps change and infrastructure changes, um, you, you need, I mean, there's a standard operating procedure for everything, right? Right. So everyone has all these run books, uh, help docs, you know, intranets, just make the software do it. Um, you know, just like, and we talked about our thermostats, you know, mm-hmm. and just smart IOT devices before, like I didn't read the manual to install the smart thermostat. It just like did it for me. Yep. Well, and the interesting thing is, I think chat GPT and this concept of having a conversation with the computer and getting a conversational response back, we talked about that's raised the expectations. So when people interact with AI, they're going to want to do it the same way. They're not going to want a ugly form, navigate here, do this. They actually are understanding that, you know, conversing is going to be a much better way to do that. Yeah, everybody knows how to have a conversation, so you might as well. Um, you know, instead of conversing with, uh, data that is up to like June, 2021, right. We've played with, uh, and everybody knows that the chat GPT is, uh, you know, it only goes up to a certain point, but they want to, they want to see how I work inside their business. So just operationalize it. That, that makes mm-hmm. sense. And then the, the lower end stuff, um, 
you know, don't make it so hard, right? So, yeah. so look at the, the easy, uh, the easy tasks, right? And, you know, if you look at any like process efficiency experts, right? And you have a list of projects, like they'll tell you, okay, which ones are the easiest to tackle, you know, the highest value in the easiest ones do those first and learn along the way. I just, I just don't know why people won't do that. Yeah. I think part of it is like when you build an AI model, you want it to give an accurate answer, but it may not give you an accurate answer the first day. So how do you deploy this to AI as assistive in a process? And the, so if we, if we actually break it down and say these smaller projects, let's not do 16 months of data processing, mining, discovery, and all those things. Let's start with AI being assistive. And that means actually letting the user start to learn and trust the AI model by presenting them with, this is the answer AI suggested. Do you agree? It's like we're 90% confident, we're 50% confident in this answer. And so if we deploy it differently, say let people use as an assistive technology, they give feedback to that technology. Then what happens is the model can train on their feedback. So basically the fine tuning, the last mile of the model, if we actually let the user see the answer and confirm or change the answer, that literally lets us solve the problem of how are we retraining the model and things change, the model drift, or how do we get the users to trust the model? And so with, with simpler examples, that's easy to do because these may be like human decisions that people are making, other calculations that are simpler for people. Yes, this is normal. This makes sense to me. This doesn't make sense to me. But we actually want to think about, it doesn't have to be an absolute, you take what the model gives you and there's no user feedback. We want the users to understand that this was created by the AI model. You, you can confirm it. You can say, suggest a change to it, which will help your training. So you don't spend those extra months on the front end, you know, cause the user is technically reviewing it. And a big problem is model drift. What happens when things change the business the business environment changes. Well, people will say, my model became inaccurate, I threw it away. And in the article, it actually talked about monitoring. Like, it's not just the cost of building, it's in the continuous monitoring to keep the model up to date. Well, when you include people in the process, that actually happens naturally. So we can actually give feedback to the model in real time. They can then take that and regenerate the model and test for accuracy. So it, it's a mindset of that it shouldn't be distinct I create it, I figure out how to write an application, deploy it, and then once a month I monitor it, that actually needs to be more seamless and um, continuous across the realm of how it works. I mean, it, it makes sense to me, right? Because uh, I'm in the business of doing this. Um, so yeah. hopefully hopefully everybody else is, you know, is, is catching on. Well, uh, Chris, I, I really appreciate your time. Uh, thanks for reading the article and reviewing it with me and until uh, next time thanks for listening to The Union I hope it was insightful and caused you to think about how you can influence technical advancements at your company please subscribe to The Union podcast series on your favorite podcast player to listen to past and future episodes if you have a question for any of us or have a suggestion for the show please email me at scott at Thanks for listening.